0: All right. I'm going to have you raise your right hand, okay. and I'll have you repeat after me. I, I, frenzy Donaghy, do hereby affirm. Do hereby affirm that I will uphold the Constitution and laws of the United States of America. That I will uphold the Constitution and laws of the United States of America. The Constitution and laws of the state of Washington. The Constitution and laws of the state of Washington. And that I will faithfully and impartially discharge and that I will faithfully and impartially discharge the duties of the office of the Washington state representative. The duties of the office of the Washington state representative. To the best of my ability. To the best of my ability. Congratulations. Thank you. Representative Danaheed, have you signed right here? <laughs> Wah wah wah, wah 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 wah, wah 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 wah, wah wah Okay. I guess it's working. Okay, shush. Welcome to Curmudgeon's Corner for Saturday, December eighteenth. 2021. It is just a tad before 23 UTC as I'm starting to record this. It is just me this week. Yvonne Bo could not make it. Uh, okay, obviously not just me. There, there's my son Alex. Uh, <laughs> and I'm the co-host. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're not the co-host. No, you're not the co-host. I am doing a solo show this time. Anyway, uh, Yvonne had some work stuff to do, uh, both Thursday and Friday of the week, where we usually record this Thursday night, Friday night, East Coast time, or U.S. time, whatever. Um, It's usually Friday or Saturday, UTC. Um, But this is much later UTC than we usually record, Um, and I am, once again, just sweet, squeaking, squeaking? I am just sneaking in before the deadline to have this count in the proper week to maintain the one one show per week per Sunday through Saturday week thing that we do here. Um, anyway, uh, the agenda. Uh, three segments. One, uh, some, some personal stuff for me. Uh, two, uh, politics stuff. And three, pandemic stuff. Uh, you can look in the description of the show to know when they start if you want to skip to one or the other. Uh, but that is the plan. Um, and so we'll just jump right in with part one. Okay, first off, uh, before the intro music of the show, you heard my wife, Brandi Donaghy, getting sworn in to the Washington State House of Representatives, where she is now one of the two representatives for the 44th Legislative District. Uh, so, yeah, that happened. Um, you know, I mentioned, I think, on the show a couple weeks ago that she was in the mix for that. Um, the process uh, was kind of convoluted, um, you know, an, an, an op- and just to Reiterate how it came about. Um, Joe Biden nominated the Washington State Secretary of State uh, to some sort of federal commission, whatever. So they resigned. So the state senator from the 44th Legislative District was appointed by the governor. To be the new Secretary of State, that left an opening, and then one of the people—well, really the only serious person who wanted to get the appointment for that state senate—that state senate seat was a guy named John Lovick, who was currently in the state house. He um, so he put in his name for that, but if he got that it would make an opening for the state House of Representatives. And so that was an open seat. And the way that it works in Washington state is the precinct committee officers for the party that has the seat uh, vote on vote for three candidates uh, that they present to the county council, who then votes on one of those three candidates uh, to be appointed to the spot. And so, anyway, uh, my wife put her name into the mix. Uh, The vote uh, of the precinct committee officers, I think I already mentioned on the show, she came in second. Um, they, They, you know, when they're presented to the council, they're just three names. It's not presented with their, you know, I mean, everybody knows the numbers. Everybody knows who's second, who's first, who's third, who's, you know, all that stuff. It's, But it doesn't matter. The county council can pick from any of the three. They're not obligated to pick the number one candidate. Um, however, there's lots of political pressure to pick the number one candidate. Um And lots of, you know, and when it came to the county council meeting for that, there were were a lot of public comments from people talking about how the county council really needed to go with the choice of the PCOs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But they didn't. (laughs) Uh, They picked the, uh, you know, my wife, uh, who's the number two choice. And I think there were a number of reasons behind that. You'd have to talk to the county council members themselves. The vote was four to one. Uh, in favor of uh, my wife uh, against uh, the other two candidates. Um, and the, the way it works is it, it, you know, procedurally really strange. Like there's not actually a vote between the three candidates. You know, they, they did an interview process where all three of the candidates answered a bunch of questions from the county council. And this is all public record. You can go to the county council website or whatever and pull up video of all these. I don't know if it's up yet, but it will be. Um, and then the county council goes into executive session and sort of, I guess, does a informal vote amongst themselves they come back out. There is a, um, whatever the county council equivalent of a bill is, um, a, uh, a, a proclamation. I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, there's one of those put on the table to be voted on. And then an amendment is put in for that to replace a placeholder name in that amendment or no, not a placeholder name in to, to change a placeholder name in the resolution. That's what it is. A resolution, um, with the name that they had chosen and then they vote on that. So it's a yes or no on the amendment to put in a specific name, So the county council did their 10 minutes of deliberation and came back out. And uh, the amendment that was put on the table was to put my wife's name in, and it passed four to one. Uh, So that's how it actually worked. Now, behind the scenes, it's very interesting to watch these sort of things. Um, You know, because I've been here on this podcast commenting on national politics for, oh, God, however many years it's been. It's been forever. Um, But, you know... I haven't been sort of a behind-the-scenes witness of politics. And I know local and national is different, but a lot of what goes on in national you yeah, it's the same kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I, watching uh, how this worked from the moment the vacancy became available until my wife won the slot uh, has been fascinating. Um, and obviously, uh, I, you know, I'm not going to get into details and names and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, all kinds of politicking is going on. All kinds of phone calls are going back and forth. Texts are going back and forth. You know, before even the the precinct committee officer vote, there was all, there were all kinds of conversations going on about who was going to put their name in. Why were they going to put their name in? Was my wife going to go for it, or was she not? Was you know, because at first my wife wasn't going to, and you know, there was somebody else that she thought was sort of quote unquote ahead of her in line and should get the chance if they wanted to. But then that person didn't want to, and then so my wife was going to do it. But somebody else who was involved in this thing was like, you know, hey, this other person might be doing this thing. Why don't you hold off a little bit? And then during that time where my wife was holding off, somebody else got into the mix um, who ended up being the one who got the number one PCO vote getting. And then once the top three were set and it was up to county council, then there were still lots of phone calls going on. And I, you know, I, you know, got to hear little bits and pieces of some of the ones my wife was on just because, you know, walking past her office and stuff like that, or she would give me little updates afterwards. But the same kind of phone calls were going on for, you know, everybody involved. You know, the county council members were getting phone calls from all three candidates for sure. Uh, They were getting, uh, there were conversations with, you know, all kinds of sort of uh people of influence within the party, uh, some on behalf of my wife, some on behalf of uh, uh, her opponents. Uh, there were, you know, labor organizations and other sort of, uh, polit- you know, political, you know, political organizations of various sorts that also wanted to weigh in and were, were talking to all the candidates and then giving their opinions to the, uh, to the county council and all that kind of stuff. So it was fascinating to watch. It was a massive flurry of activity going on for several weeks leading up to this vote. Um, by the time we got to the vote, um, we thought we were going to win. Or uh, we. What am I doing? It's not me. My wife. My wife. Uh, my, my wa- mom. Did I say my mom? You said my m- wife. Oh. Well, you know, because here at home, we call her mom all the time because she's your mom. And so it's really confusing. I don't actually. I do not think my wife is my mom. I am not confused <laughs> in that way. However, however, wait, wait, at home wait, 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 wait. we call her mom and we call me dad. And so it's sometimes <laughs> really confusing. And and this adds adds to me add adds to the fact that I'm confused about names anyway. Like I I I I misplace and sometimes call Alex the you know. Jet ski, who's our dog, or vice versa, all the time. You know, I. It's all very confusing. It's all very confusing. And then when I call my mom, mom, it's confusing because she's grandma. Anyway, whatever. Um, <clears throat> the mom- point. is, now I've gotten all, all all flusticated Um the the point is though oh, that. Yeah, the, the the point is there was this massive flurry of activity, all kinds of people talking, all kinds of people trying to make their case for their candidate um you know of the three candidates, one was currently in the legislative district but wouldn't be after redistricting, so they sort of were not yeah you know, a lot of people weren't going to vote for that just because they weren't going to be able to run for reelection in November but Uh, It was it was a very intense few weeks, uh, and it was interesting. And uh, also, you know, my it's after the thing happened, uh, and and my timer is about to go off. So you listen to my new timer. It's very exciting. Okay. wait, Wait. And and that's that's that. Um, 14 seconds overtime. Okay, so... Yes, I, I, I'm i trying a different timer, and it has that really obnoxious alarm. Anyway... Obnoxious? Anyway, I'm going to continue for just a minute more, because I haven't talked about the after portion of this, because it was really quite surreal. Um, the, the county council voted. They voted for my wife four to one, as I mentioned. Um, and then uh, immediately... They're like, okay, that's the end of business for today. Uh, goodbye. And, you know, they, they actually, oh, wait, wait, Brandy, do you want to say a word? And she said, nope, just thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Uh, because it had already been a long day for the county council. They'd done all sorts of other business before this, whatever. But, and then, you know, it's like, okay, you, you need to be sworn in tonight. So uh, she had already, you know, in anticipation of the possibility of winning. Uh, she had already made arrangements, uh, with, uh, one of the local judges, uh, that she knew and had a relationship with. Uh, and so, you know, within a few minutes, we, we, and by we, I mean, just my wife and I, uh, were heading down to the county courthouse, uh, for her to be sworn in. Uh, we met the guy after hours. He brought us into his courtroom. Uh, she, she took the oath and boom, she's in. And, you know, look, and so there we were in the courtyard, courtyard, there we were in the courthouse, you know, she got sworn in and already, like from the moment she won the vote, she was being swamped with texts and phone calls and this and that and whatever, Uh, you know, first from people just congratulating her and stuff like that, uh, of which there were like lots of people congratulating her, including her opponent, including... Um, you know, all kinds of other people, you know, um, that, you know, some of which had supported her, some of which had not. Um, and, you know, she was getting calls from uh, the Speaker of the House to welcome her and uh, some some staff members uh, from the House to start talking about like logistics of like where they're supposed to go and when and getting an office and getting a computer and blah 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 blah, blah. all this stuff uh, started right away within minutes um, and the the next day th- this was Wednesday evening uh, here in Seattle uh, and uh, Thursday, she already had a full day booked, full of meetings, uh, you know, caucuses and things like that. Uh, meetings, uh, of various people wanting to talk about one thing or another. And by Friday, she was already being asked to look at legislation and give her opinion on that, and 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 blah blah blah. Um, so it ramped up very fast, and that's even with this, the actual legislative session not starting till January tenth. Uh, so she's already super busy, already doing all. All, already doing all kinds of stuff she's going to be visiting uh, Olympia for the first time on Monday uh, Olympia is the Washington, the capital of the state of Washington for those of you who don't know um, I mean she's been to Olympia before but she's going to the state capital for the purpose of doing stuff related to this job um, so uh, and, and she's already figuring out stuff for campaigning for re-election because that's coming in less than a year and, um, she needs to get started now. Uh, there's certain, there's certain restrictions in place as well. Like she's not allowed to fundraise during certain times of year, which I believe started now, as soon as she was sworn in, uh, she's not allowed to like do fundraising for her campaign until like March or something. Uh, it's, it's weird, uh, all kinds of stuff. And she's, fi- you know, figuring all this kind of stuff out, starts up very quickly. Um, and the one last thing I'm going to say about this before I move on is that, You know, I I haven't had to give this kind of disclaimer before, uh, but just in case there's anybody new listening to this podcast because of my wife's position in the Washington state government, um, I am not my wife. (laughs) My wife is not me. Our opinions are different. And if I say something expressing my opinion on some topic, that in no way implies that my wife agrees with me. Now, she might in some cases. When was the last time she agreed with you on something? Uh, she, yeah, we agree on some stuff. We agree on lots of stuff. Anyway, yo, know, again, just disclaimer like, you will not get insight by listening to this show about what my wife's opinions may or may not be. If I say something that offends you, that is not the, that does not mean my wife would have said the same thing, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, we are two different people. We have different opinions on different things. Uh, so you're likely not to get any uh, idea of what is going on with her based on listening to this show. Although I guess... You know, I've said a few things over the last few minutes that, you know, are a little inside baseball, but I don't think I said anything really controversial or crazy or violated any confidences. You know, I haven't, you know, yes, there's all kinds of politicking going on when you are trying to replace somebody and appoint them and all kinds of conversations going back and forth between all kinds of people decide, you know, figuring out what's going on and who's going to support who and who's going to do what. But I don't think that's surprising to anybody, is it? I mean, that's not. Like, anyway, enough of all that. Um, yeah, maybe I have to like put a disclaimer in my Twitter bio and everywhere else. I did see like a handful of additional people suddenly follow me on Twitter after she won. Um, which, okay, nice. But, you know, again, you're you're not going to find out about her by following me or listening to this podcast or anything like that. Um, other than incidental things that don't matter, you know, I'm not going to Reveal any crazy confidences on here or anything like that, um, yeah. You know, so anyway, uh, yeah. So bottom line, the county council voted for her four to one, which means that uh, that's uh, the 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 council is split three Democrats and two Republicans. Uh, she got uh, two Democratic votes, two and two Republican votes, and it was one of the Democrats who voted against her. Uh, saying specifically that uh, she knew Brandy would do a great job but she wanted to respect the wishes of the precinct committee officers and so voted the way she did um, And there you go that's that okay for this personal segment I did want to talk about one more thing did I, done did I, did, I, did I say that good, good, good goodly goodly enough? Yeah, it's so it's so confusing. Words are complicated things. Um, anyway, this is something that I may have talked about on the show. This is more personal news, so sorry. You know, if you want to go straight to the politics, look at the show description and see what time that starts and fast forward. Um, but I, yeah, this is something that I may have mentioned on the show before. But if I have, it's been a long, long time ago since I mentioned it. Um, which is my son Alex, who's a few feet away here. Uh, the I'm Alex. <laughs> so happy. Me salad. but that's Miley. Dude, <laughs> something she says. So the story is that basically, when Alex was born, we couldn't put me on the birth certificate. Now this is because. At the time that he was born, my wife was actually still married to her ex-husband. Now, they'd been separated for a long, long, long time at that point, like over 10 years. And she hadn't heard of him. She didn't know where his she didn't know where he was. She didn't know how to contact him. He was long gone um, at that point in time. I think maybe we had a couple of hints of where he might have ended up, but nothing solid. Um and, you know, he he was basically completely gone and absent and had been for a long time. Uh she had never actually gone through what she would have gone through to get a divorce done um and the state of Washington apparently defaults towards if you are married the husband is the father and so by default her her ex-husband's name now ex-husband uh but at the time actually her husband by default her husband would have been put on my son's birth certificate but The, the, they would allow her to leave it blank. Now, frankly, this is all just because, you know, we were conscientious and opened our mouths and blah, blah, blah. If we had just not said anything and just said, yeah, Sam's a father, we would have had a birth certificate that had me on it from the very freaking beginning, but Apparently that would not have technically been correct. Uh, it would have, you know, if Brandy's ex-husband had decided to cause problems, then at some point in time that may have caused issues and whatever. So we, we did it by the book. We left me in blank or well me, we left the father spot on the birth certificate blank. um, And, Uh, yeah. So then, and the idea is that we could come around and clean that up later. Um, a couple years later, we officially got the divorce done. We tracked down, uh, Brandy's ex. We found him. We got him to sign all sorts of papers, giving up any claim to parental rights for Alex. Um, and for that matter, we did it at the same time we were doing, uh, me adopting, uh, Amy, my daughter who biologically was, Related to uh, my wife's sex, um, you know, and so he gave up claims for both uh, Amy and Alex, and he you know, signed away whatever rights he had in that. Um, and we, we, you know, the divorce got done. Part of the divorce paperwork was part of the paperwork done along with the divorce were DNA tests and everything else proving that Alex is actually mine. Um, all of this kind of stuff, um, and. As part of the divorce, there was actually a request to the appropriate authorities to reissue the birth certificate with my name on it uh, instead of the blank. But the lawyer that we had due to divorce was not a good lawyer. I don't know where we found this lawyer. Uh, It was a real struggle to get this done. He kept flaking out on us on one thing or another. Uh, you know, eventually, like at the very last bit, he actually left the state and gave up law and passed us along to somebody else to finish it, uh, who only did the last few weeks. Uh, but it, 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 was, it was not good. But one of the things they did was in the request to change the birth certificate, they specifically said, please reissue the birth certificate, replacing the name of Brandy's ex-husband with my name. But Brandy's ex-husband's name was not on the old birth certificate. It was blank. So they made no change, because if you did a find and replace on his name, you don't get anything, because it was blank. And so they sent us new birth certificates, but they were exactly the same as the old birth certificates, with still the father left as blank. Now, this, you know, Alex is now 12 years old. Uh, These events with the divorce probably happened nine years ago now, something like that. I don't know. In any case, fast forward a couple years, we got a lawyer to do wills and stuff and just make sure that all of that was in place. And, you know, because everybody should like, you know, put a will in place, make sure that's there. It can be very basic, but you need to have something. Uh, A Facebook friend of mine recently had her mother pass away and her mother did not have a will. And there was All kinds of craziness she had to deal with that took months to straighten out uh, because of that. It was a mess. She had to deal with all... Anyway, if you don't have a will, make one. Um, In any case, uh, as we finished that, and that was all taken care of, I asked the lawyer, Hey, can you help us deal with this birth certificate stuff too? And he talked to us for a few minutes and said, Oh, that should be really easy. Just go to to this state website and put in a request, you should be able to take care of it yourself. I would feel bad charging you to do this. It's so simple. Just go ahead and do it. Um, yeah. Well, we suck. And, you know, nearly a decade later, We had not taken care of it. We had not gotten it done. And in fact, some of the paperwork that was required, uh, like, you know, a copy of the divorce decree and the stuff proving that Alex was my son and all that kind of stuff, uh, we lost it. I mean, I'm sure it's in a box somewhere in our garage, but we could not, you know, put our hands on it. We could not find that. So a few months back, I, you know, sent an email back to this lawyer saying, look, it's been eight years or whatever. I forget exactly exactly how long it was. I don't care that it's easy and we should be able to do it ourselves. Please just tell me. How much money do you want to take care of this for us? And he gave us a price, and it was less than I thought it would be. And I'm like, hell yeah, let's do that. Um, and so uh, we had him uh, take care of that. He, he got new copies of the divorce information, uh, new copies of all the raw materials he needed. We went into his office. We signed a bunch of stuff. Uh, it got sent in. And then the state kicked it back as rejected that they weren't going to do it because it was wrong. Now, the thing they said was wrong was they required certified copies of the original birth certificate or some sort of nonsense like that, or the divorce decree or something. One of the documents, I don't know. And those had been included. They really were certified copies of the document. But apparently, they didn't look like certified copies. Um, So, you know, that came back and we talked to the lawyer again and gave it back to him and for him to try again. And he went and got additional copies of the certified documents that I guess looked more certified. I guess they're on like old fashioned paper and written with a quill or something. I don't know what the difference was, but they were both certified. They were both legally certified documents, but one was rejected. So he sent it in again. And the whole point of this is this last week, we finally got a copy of my son's birth certificate that has my name on it as well as my wife's name so finally after all this time alex is actually legally my son 12 Yay! more than 12 years later ah 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 oh god okay i stopped it um anyway uh yeah it took more than 12 years but we got it done i guess technically speaking i mean this is one of those things where It has in practicality not caused us any difficulties whatsoever. Like when we signed him up for school, we list him as, as my son, we list me as the father, I'm the contact, blah, 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 and we just do all that kind of stuff. But there are very you know, if something dramatic had gone wrong and something weird had happened, then not having him legally on the birth certificate could conceivably have caused us problems. Um, you know, and I, w- I want to get like, uh, right now I, I need next thing on my priority list is get everybody in their family, their passports like mine's expired. Uh, I think Brandy had one ages ago. It's expired long ago. Uh, Amy has never had one. Alex has never had one. Uh, we just want to get us all passports so that, you know, someday when all of this COVID travel restriction stuff is up, uh, we might I actually, stay home. we might actually go somewhere. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, and I wanted, you know, if we do that, I want to have my name on that too, you know? So it was good to get it taken care of. It's all it's all fixed now. We've got several copies of the birth certificate. We've got them stowed away in a safe place. Um, and all, all is good with the world. And, you know, my son is now legally my son. Although, if you watch us together and watch how he behaves compared to how I behave and the way we talk, I mean, he's said for years that we're the same brand, you, there's no way you could not catch that, you know, there's a relationship there. Um, and, you know, frankly, regardless of the legal, you know, and this is one thing that is, you know, has, you know, the, the my whole relationship with Amy as well, you know, pounded home, uh, is that, you know, the legal relationship, or for that matter, even the biological relationship does not really matter in the end Uh, I mean they both have their place I guess but it's the it's the relationship and how you interact with each other and you know you know I I was Amy's dad for years and years and years before I was legally her dad you know and and that's the important part Um, but having it all legally tied up in a bow is nice too so there you go. Um, okay, we're going to take a break now. And when uh, we come back, uh, it'll be time for the politics segment of this year podcast. Um, as usual, when I'm doing this solo... i to interrupt you a lot to say completely unrelated things. And as, as usual, when I do these sort of solo shows... I'm probably not going to go through this thing straight through. Uh, you know, I'm going to say goodbye. You're going to have like a one-minute little goofy whatever it is before I talk. For me, it may be hours, maybe even days, maybe even months. No, probably not months, but yeah, years. I'll. Yeah, not years. Skip straight to years. You'd skip the months. Yeah, and I, I did. I say weeks. I should have said weeks too. Weeks. In any case, uh, you know, I we'll be. We, Yep. We'll be, I, I will be back right after this and we'll talk some politics. So maybe. M- maybe he'll be here. Maybe he won't. We'll, we'll see. Maybe we'll see. Anyway, well, uh, I don't know how long it'll be for me, but for you, it'll be like a minute or two. Back after this. You're supposed to say do, do, do. Do, do, do. Alex Amzala. Alex Amzala is awesome. It's videos are fun, and today, once again, we have one of our most loyal subscribers here to tell you how awesome Alex Emsla is. I'd say on a rate from 1 to 10, Alex Emsla is awesome at, I don't know, 37, 82? He's pretty radical. His videos are phenomenal. They're full of creativity. And they're they're so funny and exciting to watch. Wow, what happened to your voice then, Amy? Was that Dad pretending to be you because the audio was distorted when it really wasn't because I told him to? Yes! Good job on remembering, Dad. Do, do, do! Bop, Okay, I am back, and uh, it had, uh, And it indeed has been about 24 hours since I last recorded, which, you know, has the advantage this time around that there was news breaking in that time period around the stuff I was going to talk about. So, uh, yay, I guess. Um, So the first thing in the politics section I was going to talk about was Build Back Better and such. And so on the Sunday morning talk show on Fox, uh, Senator Manchin moved from his sort of hemming and hawing and saying that you know, he still has a ways to go and he needs to, we need to talk more about this and he has some issues and blah, 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 to essentially flat out saying, I'm a no, I am not going to do this. This is, has too much stuff that I disagree with. I'm worried about, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. um, With a fairly definitive no. Um, And look, there's been a lot of talk just in the few hours since that happened that, tries to figure out if there's any sort of path forward. Like, I've seen some people saying, like, look, Joe Manchin has played this game before. He played it with voting rights, et cetera. That what he's, you know, he's going to say no, and he's going to say, but then maybe he will provide a, here's my version of the bill that I will actually accept, uh, and then the rest of the Democrats can take it or leave it. Um, Here's the thing. First of all, I don't think it's at all clear that he is going to do something like that. Uh, But even if he did, it's going to be so far removed from what Biden and the other Democrats have been pushing for. I mean, already they have been cutting back and cutting back and cutting back and cutting back to try to get to something that Joe uh, Manchin could agree to. And uh, so maybe they can squeeze something out. But at the same time, the the White House reaction has been along the lines of, uh, you know, he stabbed us in the back, essentially. They didn't quite use those words, but they said like as recently as a couple of days previously, Uh, He had been talking to uh, Joe Biden and uh, talking about potential ways forward and negotiating and just asking for more time to continue negotiating, blah, blah, blah. So they feel they were sort of blindsided by him suddenly just saying essentially flat out no. Um, Having said that, I mean, is anybody really surprised. I mean, I sort of, what the, the line I've taken in the last few weeks is I felt like at this point they would get something done, although it would probably be even further cut back. I'm no longer at all sure that they'll get anything more out of this process. Um, especially since the white house is now sort of, you know, all, all of the Democrats who'd been sort of holding their fire with their anger and frustration with Joe Manchin, uh, have started not being as sort of circumspect and have just been outright, like, flaming him instead. Um, and that's certainly not the way to get his cooperation, I don't think. I mean, maybe it's another strategy. Maybe they're, the pressure campaign as they did it wasn't working and now they're going to try just yelling at him some more. I, I, I don't know. I I think it's dead. Um, But... And frankly, like, I wonder, like, back when they made the deal to decouple Build Back Better from the infrastructure bill itself, um, where even the progressives, with the exception of the squad, uh, decided, okay, fine, we'll go along, we'll see what happens. I feel like, you know, despite all of the talk of leadership and the White House saying, Trust us, we got this. We can get Joe to come along. That leadership knew it was a long shot, even then, they knew it was probably gonna die, and that's why they wanted to accelerate the decoupling. Because you know, basically, the alternative, uh, what the progressive caucus at first was pushing. And at the end, only the five or so people on the squad were pushing was keep these two things linked as a way to pressure mansion so that he can't get the stuff he wants in the infrastructure bill, unless he also goes along with the rest of build back better. Um, that, that was the whole linkage plan that had been, Going the whole damn time. I think if you really got the behind-the-scenes view of the leadership that was ready to decouple, they had a at least a strong feeling. Maybe they didn't have, like, Manchin saying it outright, because they all seem to be really mad about him saying it outright now. Uh, but at the very least, I think they knew that if they continued that process— Manchin was ready to just walk away and give absolutely fucking nothing. No infrastructure, no Build Back Better, n- nothing. And they wanted to at least take what they could get at that point. Take the infrastructure since that he was on board for that and, and just make that happen. Um, and then if the other is a loss, well, at least you got this. I think, you know, w- when you look at it too, I mean... Mansion has been nothing but consistent here. You know, you you look at this document that he signed with Schumer in like July saying what he was going what he would accept in the end. And there were clearly, you know, items on his list there that were not present in what came out of the house and he'd been clear all along that if you didn't meet that list, he was not a yes. And He's been saying this from the beginning, even before July, like back as far as March when he was talking about this. And he has all along said, I can't, you know, I'm not going to go agree to all this stuff. I, I He he just plain doesn't believe in it. He doesn't think it's the right thing to do. And I think that the strategic, I, I'm going to go ahead and call it a mistake because it looks like it at this point, the strategic mistake by the administration and democratic leadership in the house and Senate. And, and by the way, I clearly it leadership, not like just the progressive caucus or the squad or anybody like that. Um, all of them, because there was aside from mansion and cinema, there was nearly universal, uh, agreement on what build back better was going to look at. Like, once they got it down to 3.5 trillion uh, I think they had everybody except Mansion and cinema on board um when it was like six there were a bunch of other uh, people who didn't agree either but once it was down to 3.5 I think it was just just mansion and cinema but they made the bet all along that if they just pressured mansion enough he would eventually go along with it he would eventually agree he would he would go up beyond what he'd laid out at the beginning i mean he said 1.5 trillion from the freaking beginning he listed all these other conditions in his july document and he's been completely consistent and i think they felt like well we can get him to move. We can negotiate. We can come to something else in between. Whereas Manchin was all along from the very beginning, he was, it doesn't seem like he was actually playing a negotiating game. He was just saying, this is what I'll accept. If you get there, I'll go along with it. If you don't, I won't. And there was just no accepting that he really meant it. (laughs) I mean, even in the most recent, like today, White House response to Mansion saying that he was done. Um, the White House statement, you know, was still arguing about some of the stuff that says, you know, Mansion, you know, Mansion said this, but that's not reasonable. We think this. Okay, the man said what he's going to say, and I know, like almost always, these things are sort of the opening gambits, and you expect to come through it somewhere in between. But you know. Manchin wasn't playing that game, it seems. And also, by the way, I'll say, I don't remember ever hearing Cinema sign on with a solid yes either. So the bottom line is they did not have the votes here. And I, in th- like I said, I think they kind of knew that when they agreed to the separation. Like if they really thought they had Manchin and Cinema on board for big for Build Back Better, then they could have kept these things linked. And within a week or two or whatever, or now at Christmas time, uh, been able to connect the two and, and, and just pass both of them. I think the fact that they agreed to the separation in November indicated they already knew that the chances of Build Back Better passing were small. Uh, At least in any sort of recognizable form. Um, And I think it was somewhat disingenuous for them to claim that that wasn't the case and the sort of, trust us, we got this. I think that was wishful thinking from the beginning. It wasn't like an accurate representation of, yeah, definitely, we got this. It was a, we hope we got this. (laughs) kind of thing like if everything goes perfect or or just I can't possibly believe Mansion and Cinema would really fuck us over this way kind of thing but no man you know mansion's been clear it from the very freaking beginning and you know the the a week ago even they were like okay we'll punt this to 2022 we'll you know we'll bring it up again like in March or something and in the meantime we're gonna pivot to voting rights and I, I, I'm sorry what <laughs> you know I I would like to get the voting rights stuff done too but you need to modify the filibuster for ah, ah there's my timer there's my timer um. Anyway, you you need to modify the filibuster for that, and Mansion has been just as fucking clear on that. Well, <laughs> he's been a little wishy washy on that too. But like he he's he's made it clear that he doesn't really want to do it. There's, you know, every once in a while he'll throw out some crumbs and say he might consider it under cert- certain circumstances. But even if you get him, you still gotta get Cinema, who has said she's not going there either now if if biden and company pull out some kind of fucking miracle i did, i will admit i was wrong here but i don't see them doing it like on all of this like it has been clear since at least march maybe earlier that mansion and cinema were not on board they're not on board on build back better in anything resembling the form that's been being bounced around between the house and the Senate. And they're, they say they're for the voting reform, but only if they can get Republicans on board or they can do it without changing the filibuster, which is the same as saying, okay, I'm theoretically in favor for it, but I'm not going to do anything to make that happen. And, And Manchin's been making a couple statements every once in a while thinking that maybe a very, very narrowly tailored exception to the filibuster might be okay for something like this. But he hasn't made any sort of solid commitment on that. I think it's it's all dead. I, I think it's all dead. And like I said, I would be thrilled if I'm wrong, but I think the end result of all this nonsense is... The Democrats have seriously misplayed this whole thing from the beginning. Like, and and I, I, you know, I've heard the argument. Some of the progressive caucus, I think AOC said something um, along the lines of to those folks who were, who've been saying, you know, you could, nothing further than what Manchin wanted was ever going to happen. Why did you build up people's expectations and things like that? Um, what she said in response to those people, which is basically what I'm saying now, um, was that that's sort of building in this self-fulfilling prophecy of failure, and that if you don't take the shot, you can never win, and that you gotta take the shot, and you gotta try everything you've got to get there. You can't just... Say, oh, well, Mansion doesn't want it, so it's impossible, so let's not even try. And I get that. But at the same time, you could have a lot of those conversations in fucking private. Not on the public stage. Because once you start saying... Oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And we're going to, you know, we're going to do this massive overhaul of, uh, the social safety net and it's going to have this and that and this and that and this and that, and we're going to spend all this money and we're going to transform the universe and do all of this stuff. That's awesome. If you deliver, if you don't end up actually being able to deliver that then you end up looking like fools. You end up looking like incompetent fools and everybody looks at it and says, you promised all this shit. Where is it? And, you know, yes, the people who are perpetually news junkies and online and watching every back and forth and understand the processes in the Senate and the house and how reconciliation works and what you did to try to put the pressure on mansion and blah, blah, blah. Maybe those people can look at it and say, okay, well, you know, you, you gave it a good hard try. Congratulations. But for the average person who's not paying attention in that level of detail, all it looks like is you said you were going to do this, you didn't. That's it. And I see so many people online, and yeah, this is Twitter view, but like basically saying, see what, see, we voted Democrat. They got the majority. What fucking good did it do? Why should I bother ever voting for them again? And of course, like if you want, this agenda to actually happen. You not only have to keep showing up and keep electing those Democrats, not just in the blue States, but in the purple States and make inroads into red States. And so this sort of, you know, talk about self-fulfilling prophecies. The self-fulfilling prophecy here is that, Oh, Oh, well Democrats didn't do anything. So why bother voting for them? Well, guess what? If you don't bother voting for them, you're not only not going to get anything new on your agenda, you're going to get things that are already there rolled back. As if 2016 wasn't enough to show that to people. We're now going to run into 2022. The Democrats will almost certainly lose ground. And unless, again, you know, unless something massive changes in the next 11 months. Uh, but something, you know, they're likely to lose at least one, maybe two, uh, houses of Congress and you're going to get Jack. Sorry, nothing, nothing. You're going to get complete obstruction. Um, you know, you're not, now things to roll back. The agenda won't, won't go through as long as, uh, as president Biden has a veto, but some things will be rolled back by the courts. Uh, You know, uh, the Roe versus Wade stuff aside that's happening in the next, uh, you know, they're due sometime in the spring or early summer to come through with that uh, case. um, But, uh, you know, and in, in past that, you know, uh, now people will tout, to, you know, like the counter to all this is, well, look at all the successes the Biden administration has done. They got the massive stimulus package for COVID. Infrastructure did pass. Maybe it was a little smaller than original thoughts might be, but it was still huge. Those happened. Uh, Biden celebrated uh, approving his 40th federal judge uh, this, this last week, and apparently that's the most that have happened by this time in an administration since Ronald Reagan. So, yes, he has accomplished things and he's done a few other things through executive order and blah, blah, blah. But the again, the problem is it's the expectations game. Nobody is thinking about or caring about or caring about the things that have taken place because well, you set up all the expectations for this other stuff and it didn't happen. There's no voting rights reform. There's No build back better. And in other areas, like a lot of people who voted for Biden were all about, well, now we can take that happened in the Trump administration and actually start holding people to account for what happened. Well, you know, so far there there have been some rumors that maybe something's dropping soon on the New York side. But, you know, there. So far, there's no significant prosecutions of Trump administration people. Hell, there's not even any significant prosecutions on January 6th. No one seems to be being held accountable for anything. Again, January 6, they, a bunch of low level people have sentences. I don't want to minimize that, but they haven't gone over. It, it. It's not the organizers. It's not the you know the people in the administration who may have been involved in in plotting things. Um, and you know so the overall impression that's left as we approach the one year mark of the Biden administration is that as usual, the Democrats can't get shit done, even though they have gotten some shit done and add to that, you know, we're in the middle of a COVID resurgence. People are, you know, still dealing with and having to think about COVID and, uh, you know, we've got the new, uh, Uh, Omicron variant, and people are all worried about it, and things are shutting down in New York, and we'll talk about that in the pandemic section a little later, but you know, Biden's, I heard someone summarize it as like Biden's big selling point in the election last year was getting back to normal. And that involved like putting a bunch of the Trump stuff behind us and taking care of COVID. And we still got COVID. We're still talking about Trump shit and without significant consequences having happened to that. And Biden otherwise has, you know, his whole like stick about, you know, we're going to make it so that, you know, Republicans and Democrats can work together and get things done again. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, you got the, you know, you got infrastructure that had Republicans on board. Um, But that's it. Like the COVID thing was party line. Um, And you got nothing from the Republican side on any of these other things, not on voting rights, not on big belt, big bad, not on build back better. None of that. You know, those are all just, you know, you, you're, you're not getting that. You are you're not peeling off, you know, some of those quote unquote centrist Republicans and getting their support for these things. It's just not happening. So Biden's whole thing on, you know, trying to turn the clock back to sort of have the Republicans and Democrats get along better and, you know, work like the good old days. That ain't happening and a lot of us aren't surprised by that at all but yeah so a little, yeah yeah and again it's it's expectations it's setting expectations like if if the day that it became clear that there was a 50-50 senate i mean and before that we were expecting democrats wouldn't even have the senate but once it became clear there was a 50-50 senate um if expectations had been set appropriately which is like, look, we have a fifty-fifty Senate, and our fiftieth senator is Joe Fucking Manchin, who is a senator in West Virginia who has to appeal to highly conservative voters to to even have a shot. Um and it's a miracle that he's even in office, and he's pretty damn conservative based on his record, too. I mean, he you know, he's he's more liberal than the next Republican over, but you know, and, and you know, like I've said a few times recently, by March, it was clear that nothing would happen beyond whatever the hell it was that Manchin was okay with. And that's not the situation you would like to be in, but that's the situation we were in. And I think all sorts of Democrats were deluding themselves for months and months and months that if we just put enough pressure on him, if we just talk to him enough... Joe Manchin will come around and he will support this stuff. And maybe we have to give up some of what we want. Maybe we have to give up a lot of what we want, but in the end he will come around and he will give us more than he said he was willing to do. And no, you know, he already gave you his bottom line and he did not move. And even if he did move, you still got some issues with cinema. So there you go. Um, I do want to mention really. <laughs> why? Why do I even bother? I'm not going to say me, mention really briefly, but I will say uh, there are some rumors on uh, the Janu- uh, on the January 6th Commission and the New York investigations. Uh, so, so just to touch on those briefly, on New York, apparently, uh, at least one reporter who apparently has good connections and blah blah blah, um, said. I think it was on MSNBC. I haven't actually seen the clip, uh, but said that his sources are telling him that there's some kind of, you know, racketeering fraud, whatever charges dropping against Donald Trump out of New York, quote unquote soon. I have not seen any confirmation of that from anywhere else. I do not know what amount of faith to put in that. Um, it's apparently related to the, you know, they, they already in, indicted um, the Trump organization and uh, what what's his name, the guy who was their CFO or whatever for a long time. Um, and they've been trying to get him to cooperate, but they haven't. But they've been doing other investigations. Uh, the rumor is basically, look, they they've called... Donald Trump himself in for testimony, and that's not something you would do until the very end of an investigation when you think you've nailed everything down um, and are just trying to sort of put the last candles on the cake or whatever before you drop the indictments. Uh, I don't know. And uh, as Ivana and I have talked about quite a few times, even if you get that, I don't know the... First of all, timelines are long, you know, you indict them. Now that's going to be going back and forth in court for a long, long, long time. It's certainly not going to be resolved before the 2022 elections. It probably won't be resolved before the 2024 elections. Um, and it's going to be messy. And will you get a jury that would actually convict Donald Trump? Uh, you know, and, and then you've got appeals and then you've got that. It it would be messy. And, uh, I think Yvonne's absolutely right. That Trump would be viewed as a martyr and, uh, it might actually help him and the Republicans politically as this was going through. Now, frankly, I don't want the prosecutors to be taking that into account. Like the, the professional prosecutors should be judging the case based on, the actual facts of the case. Do they think they can prove a crime was committed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They should not be gaming out, you know, is this good or bad for the Republicans in the 2022 election that just should not come into the equation, but it, from that point of view, it's still fraught with peril, even if it's coming from New York, uh, and not the feds, um, on the federal side, um, the january 6th investigation uh liz cheney has every time she's been talking about this practically been using quotes of language from various parts of federal criminal law as we want to investigate to see if and quote here's some of the law um when referring to either donald trump himself or his close associates so that has some people speculating that the January 6th commission is going to end up making criminal referrals to the DOJ of either Trump himself or close associates of Donald Trump before they're done here. Um, and that takes everything I just said about New York and raises it to an, uh, another level completely. Cause the New York stuff from everything I've heard is based on, you know, financial misdealing by Trump and his associates before he was president. And at least there's a case to be made that you can separate that from the politics a little bit and say, you know, look, we're just following the facts and there's all this documentation that he did in fact do this. Now the, the, the Trump fanatics just don't care. I mean, like it's been clear that Donald Trump, you know, was, was, you know, a scoundrel business wise, you know, for decades. And this just never surfaced as a concern that like the MAGA people cared in any way, shape, or form that he may have cheated at some of this stuff. For some of them, it's probably a plus. Um, but at least you can make a case that like that's is completely divorced from politics. It's purely going after him for financial stuff and taxes and insurance and blah blah blah. But when you get to the January 6th stuff, you are completely melding it in with sort of the big lie of, you know, was Donald Trump cheated out of the 2020 election? And do you believe Donald Trump when he says that? And what's the situation with with all of this stuff? And you are going right at the, at the heart at that point of MAGA ideology. Because at this point, it's all tied up with... Of course Donald Trump was cheated. Of course you can't trust these elections, because there's all kinds of shenanigans going on, which you can say they've been disproved over and over and over again, and they have. But for the people who are in that mindset, they don't give a shit. They don't care. They, you know, they're—the the, the the mindset that, you know— there was no insurrection on January 6th. It was just some protesters, and maybe it got out of hand a little bit. But, you know, really, they had a point, because, like, all they were asking for was that all of the irregularities in the election be looked into, and clearly all kinds of stuff happened. You know, it's, it's going to be a freaking mess. Now, again, if the January 6th committee sends this stuff to the DOJ, I don't want— I, 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 I feel like the DOJ has to take it up. Like it becomes a situation like the impeachments where whether it's politically advantageous or not, it's the right fucking thing to do. And they should not be looking into how is it going to affect 2022? How's it going to affect 2024? That's not how the DOJ should be making their calls. But it again is worrisome <laughs> because, <laughs> if any of that does happen it it probably does strengthen trump and the republicans in the elections and they're already in a pretty damn good spot and that you know i i've mentioned in other things all the sort of the worry about them you know gerrymandering and changing and voter suppression and changing election laws to allow you know republican functionaries to to make calls that may or may not be honest uh but frankly for 2022 at least, they may not need all that shit. They're in a good position anyway. They can just win outright. You know, because the standard pendulum back and forth of backlash against the person in power, and if uh, if Biden continues to have low approval ratings and the, the economy is sort of iffy and the pandemic is still going on and blah, blah, blah. If all that is true, the Democrats are going to get slaughtered in 2022. Just without even putting Republican shenanigans and dirty tricks on the plate. They they won't even need those. They can hold their fire and keep those for later because they are going to be able to win outright and honestly. And yeah. Um now again, 11 months is a long time if we get to next fall and the inflation is back down. The economy is going strong. Uh, COVID is mostly in the rear view mirror. Uh, that may change quite a lot, but it's still, you know, um, a bunch has to happen to get there. And right now, it's hard to see all that. And m- m- maybe those trends will be there. Maybe they'll, you know, all of those macro things will happen. But, you know, even if they do, Those, frankly, aren't things under Biden's control. They'll happen or they won't. It's not because of something the Democrats will do or not. The things that could have happened based on Democrats actually taking proactive action, for the most part... Oh, oh, alarm, alarm. Uh, For the most part... that. The things they have delivered on, they haven't been able to capitalize. No one is aware. No one cares. It's not affecting their polls. And then there's a bunch of stuff where, as we started out this segment, they promised things. They said they were going to do X, Y, Z, and it doesn't look like those things are going to happen. So they end up with the fallout of that. Now. If Biden somehow pulls a rabbit out of the hat in the next few months and actually gets uh, a, you know, a filibuster exception and they do some voting rights and some form of BBB that's not quite what they wanted, but, you know, e- 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 you just go for, you know, OK, Joe Manchin, write the bill that you will say yes to, and then everybody else signs on to it, maybe they'll get some traction out of that. I don't know. But right now. I will continue with my pessimistic streak that I've had for a while now and say, yeah. Um, yeah. And like I said before, and just to wrap this up, if back in March, the Democrats had set reasonable expectations that took into account the Mansion barrier, or had... Tried not to make any promises at all and had just gone about their business and gotten as much as they could without having all these fights in public and without having people making all kinds of promises and talking about all the good things that would come out of this bill. If they had set those expectations, then they might be able to spin this in the look at all the good things we have done, given our very limited majority, we got a whole bunch done. But no, instead, you set this whole other thing up. And now you're not you're you're not delivering. And on the on the on the indictments and everything else, I don't know that anything's going to happen there. Um, you know, I, I mentioned all these rumors. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, right now they're rumors. Uh, if they actually happen, then we can talk about them. Then, in until then, I think it's I don't know. Of course, you know, I just speculated about them. I'm sure we'll speculate about them again. But until we know the details of anything that does drop, it's really hard to say what's going on there. And the the January 6th committee is saying a little bit more out loud than they were before. Um, and the there haven't really been many leaks out of the New York team. Um, so I think, you know, we'll see what we see when we see it. Because um, the people who really know what's going on behind the scenes are doing a pretty good job keeping quiet about it. Um, which. You know, unlike the Mueller report and everything, where by the time it came out, we'd heard almost everything in it before, and it was just a little additional detail and blah blah blah. And that's probably the best way. Like, if they've got something like, you know, jaw dropping, then they should hold on to it and and drop it when they're ready to like, you know, really, you know, w- if you're gonna drop indictments have that information like surprise people then, um, you know, cause the, the dribs and drabs just make it so that when you finally do get to the punchline, no one cares anymore. Okay. Uh, we're going to take another break. Um, once again, I have no, I have no idea how long it'll be on my side, but for you, it'll only be a minute or so, uh, maybe two at the outside. It depends on which random break I pull in, but, um, we'll talk again, uh, for part three, about the pandemic and i hope i don't wait too long because it's already sunday evening uh pacific time uh and you know i've mentioned before like i i want to get these things out saturday afternoon this weekend i just i started recording saturday afternoon and i've been actually getting these things out like yeah well the the last last week was you know after work on monday like i i didn't get it done before work on monday and i work did my monday and then finished it up after work and so utc it came out on tuesday i hate that it should come out on saturday i'm gonna cry uh anyway because crazy me i've I know I've said this before, I've I've been doing other things on the weekend, and if I'm not done at midnight on Sunday night, I've been actually going to sleep and trying to get a decent night's sleep before I start work in the morning, uh, rather than, like, pulling an all-nighter to get the podcast out, and so it's been later and later and later. But I, you know... I don't know. <laughs> If, if more of you put up on the pro on the patreon maybe all I would all Yvonne and I would have to do is record and I could you know we could pay somebody else to to put it all together and put the show out um or if anybody out there wants to volunteer for that let me know we'll audition you or something um anyway uh, here comes the break I'll come back with pandemic stuff after this da, 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 da. You may have a job, 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 Hello. not that Stop! uh i'm back it's only been a couple hours since uh that last thing but it is time 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 to talk about the pandemic and uh it's all about omicron uh omicron omicron yeah i yeah, I, yeah I, it, that's right right it's omicron not unicron not omnicron it's omicron I, I you know i every time i comes up i, I have to say something like that but anyway Yeah, everything's about that right now. Everybody's panicking. Uh, There are the case rates in the U.S. are heading up. In Europe, they're heading up and blah, blah, blah. Now, I usually start these things by talking about the worldwide trends for deaths. And I I will do that. Uh, But let let me hit... Just cases, because everybody's freaking out about cases, and this is one of the things that uh, you know is is a topic of conversation. Is you know, are cases the right thing to be looking at? Um, cases are continuing to go up at a decent pace worldwide. If you look at it now, in many places, Delta is still dominant. Uh, Unicron, Omnicron uh, uh, is still is growing rapidly, but is still smaller. There are a few places where, uh, uh, Omicron is now where there are a few places where Omicron is now dominant. Um, in some of the earliest places like South Africa, it looks like it's already peaked, like it peaked really quickly and is going back down. Um, worldwide again, like things are going up. Things are clearly going up. They're almost at their, you know, peak from August. Um, and but but here's the thing deaths are still flat deaths are still even down looking at the post i made saturday about this uh you know on twitter as of the december 17th data um deaths were down 5.3% from a week ago 5% from 4 weeks ago indicating most of that time it was actually flat, Um, we're still down 23% from 13 weeks ago and a full 43%, well, 42.6% from a year ago, from 52 weeks ago. Now, the immediate thing to say about that is yes, yes, but deaths lag cases. So the Omicron wave that we're seeing now in cases should result in deaths in a few weeks to a month. Uh, and we'll see that that may well be the case, but some of the preliminary indications from places where this hit first are they're just not seeing that like there is the case spike, but hospitalizations are not following, and deaths are not following so far now, the caution that everybody puts on that is when you look at South Africa specifically, you have a population that has had lots of exposure already. And so you're dealing with, you know, people who have some degree of immunity already, some degree of vaccination already. uh, And so it's unclear what this would do if it went through a population that was mostly unvaccinated and mostly did not have previous cases. Uh, we don't know. We'll see. Like scientists are still saying over and over and over again that it's too soon to tell. Um, there are a few studies that have very specifically tried to do apple to apple comparisons of Delta and Omicron. For how serious it gets if you've got the same kind of person infected with the same kind of history. uh, It looks like there's some evidence that uh, Omicron is a little bit less likely to lead to hospitalization and death than Delta, but not a lot different. And the people who bring this up also always mention that if you've got something that spreads much faster. Then, even if the number of people it hospitalizes or kills is a little bit smaller, the total number of people hospitalized or killed is going to be a lot greater because of the faster spread. And so we got to watch out. Um, and so there's a lot of warning that says, hey, we're about to get hit and it's going to, and it's potentially going to be bad. Um, and at the same time, there is talk about, yeah, but if you look at the charts, if you are doubly vaccinated plus a booster, so if you've had three of the mRNA shots, or I guess a J and J and then booster with the mRNA, I'm not sure exactly what that how it breaks down depending on your exact combination. But basically the people who've had, who have been, were fully vaccinated plus a booster are doing really, really well <laughs> if they get um, um God damn, Omicron. If they get Omicron. Um, you know, very mild symptoms, not very many hospitalizations, not very many deaths. Um, you've seen, I've seen a number of charts going around that look at, you know, sort of divided into categories. So it's, you know, fully unvaccinated at one end of the spectrum. Uh, so nothing. The people who have nothing, as usual, are getting hit super hard. Uh, the people who are fully vaccinated with the old criteria of what fully vaccinated meant um, are doing significantly better than the unvaccinated crowd, but still pretty bad. Um, the people with the booster as well, though, it's, it like falls through the floor. There's still some, you know, it's not nothing, nothing, nothing is foolproof. Nothing will completely avoid all risk, but they are doing much, much, much better compared to the other two categories. Um, and you know, natural previous infection is in the mix as well. um but the 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 group the one group that's doing really well is fully vaccinated plus booster um all of the others uh omicron seems to be able to get past a decent amount like i said even there fully vaccinated is still better than unvaccinated by a significant margin it's just still it's not close to zero it's still a lot of people uh but it's uh, th- those outcomes are doing better um but in in all of the metrics if you look at uh in infection hospitalization deaths etc but especially like I- I- infections it's it's actually not that much of an improvement some improvement but not a huge amount um and yeah what do i mean by these and what percentages it's you know people will say it, some people will say oh if it's a 5% improvement then what's the point like on on cases um and I, I I get that, but like five percent is five percent. It's it's still better. Uh, but like the 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 triple vaxed people are super low down. You know, like this, you know, it, it, much much better. Um, so for the unvaccinated populations, though, it looks like you know as usual they're potentially screwed. Um, and so what do you do about that? And then we're having all the same conversations we had before about overwhelming the healthcare system, which is under great strain already and, uh, follow on impacts to people who don't get COVID at all, but can't get appropriate health treatment because the healthcare system is overwhelmed by treating people who do have COVID. So yeah. Yeah. I I look at, I, I, long ago, I sort of said cases is so like dependent on testing and this and that, and there's all kinds of things we don't know, like hospitalizations and deaths, a lot more reliable metric. Like, you know, who goes into the hospital and once they're in the hospital, they get that damn test, <laughs> you know? Um, so as I speak, uh, this word that Biden will be speaking to the country on Tuesday or something about his latest thoughts on COVID and everything. And one of the things that people are saying he might try to say at that point is, Hey, everyone, it's time to stop thinking in terms of cases and start thinking in terms of severity of." Of what the outcomes are, because what we're seeing potentially with Omicron is something that in many countries is severely spiking the case numbers, but is not resulting in the hospitalizations and deaths. And again, cross your fingers, that may or may not happen in the U.S., There are a lot of unknowns here. We may still have a big spike of hospitalizations and deaths coming up, but maybe we'll get lucky there. In which case, should we really be operating policy based on cases alone? And I I honestly, I think it never should have been cases alone. Yes, you do have to pay attention to cases, but you have to pay attention to all of these different steps in the chain too um now should should anybody who gets a case isolate and all this kind of stuff? I don't know I'm still th- i I'm pretty conservative here. I'm still thinking probably, but it's worth having that conversation and digging into the different levels because you know. Omicron looks like a somewhat different animal in terms of how it's behaving than the original variants or like Delta. Um, and a lot of it we still don't know. I think I, I very much believe in the precautionary principle that until we do know, we have to assume the worst. But there continues to be information coming in that maybe there's this is enough different that we should reassess how we think about things. um. But yeah, here comes, here come a few butts. Um, I don't think this changes any of the basics, you know, maybe it changes a little bit about, you know, exactly what activities are, you know, allowed to be open and shut. But, Frankly, the the key elements of this get as many people vaccinated as possible, and continue to fucking wear masks, have been clear forever. Like I, I I was I went to pick up some sandwiches that my wife ordered from a sandwich shop a few days ago, and I was just going in for pickup. So I was wearing my mask, a, a KN95. Um, I went in. I had to stand there a couple minutes to wait for the order to be ready and I took it out. But there were people in the dining room eating. And of course, none of them wore masks. And of course, the staff was wearing masks. I was wearing a mask because I was coming in and out. I wasn't eating. A couple others who were waiting for pickup were wearing their masks. But it continued like, and I know I've said this on the show before, but it blew my mind again just looking at it in person again. There is no universe where guidance is you should wear your masks inside except if you're eating. It just makes no fucking sense. Either conditions are such that you should be wearing your masks inside or conditions are such that it's safe to not wear a mask inside. One of those two things is true. It is never The case where you have to wear your mask inside, except when you're eating. No, 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 no. That's just so fucking idiotic. And I know that this is all about like keeping the restaurant business alive and, you know, people want to eat in restaurants and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, it doesn't make any what... (laughs) Either, I mean, and, uh, and I say either or, either it's safe or it's not. Obviously, there's a graduation in between. It's, it's not actually a binary. It's more or less safe, etc. And the, the one factor that actually fucking matters is the ventilation. Ventilation, ventilation, ventilation. That's the one thing we've learned about airborne diseases like this. And frankly, most restaurants have crappy ventilation. <laughs> um, you know how you can tell? You can smell the food cooking. God. Uh, You know, look, this is another thing that I've used as an analogy before on the show, and I'm going to repeat it again, and I know it's not like 100% exactly accurate, but I think it's a good rule of thumb. You know, if you are in a space, imagine yourself smoking, and I'm going to put it in terms of you, not other people around you, because the everybody should be thinking about how they affect others not their own risk um but imagine yourself smoking if there is anyone around you who could smell that cigarette you should be wearing a fucking mask <laughs> i'm sorry that that's that's how that's how i would describe it you know um you know and the 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 sort of exceptions you throw on there ideally you would throw no exceptions on there the ones that are inevitable are like the people you live with because frankly no matter what you're gonna do the people you live with are going to be exposed to what you have there's almost no way to avoid it uh, but yeah but otherwise you know, and same thing I was on a video conference and for once uh for for work and for once there were people there in the office, in a conference room, on one of the video conference screens, and none of them were wearing masks. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, maybe there was a short period of time over the summer where, you know, like, it, it, it in the immediate aftermath of the July 4th fucked up guidance that was given in terms of you don't have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated, only unmasked people have to be only unvaccinated people have to be masked, which don't even get me started again on how stupid that was as guidance but maybe there was some period of time in that realm where you could reasonably say, oh okay, we can be unmasked now inside if everybody's vaccinated. But surely, as soon as we had the Delta spike, it was clear that that was no good anymore. And certainly now with Omicron, it's it's just, it it baffles me. Yes, of course these people should all be wearing masks. You know, and, and maybe you can still sort of, if you know everybody's vaccinated and it's a really small group, you can take an educated risk. But like, if you're in public places, if you're in groups of large people, if you're with people who you don't know their vaccination status for sure, um, then probably not. Now, you know, I said a couple of weeks ago, I let my, my son, Alex's friend visit and it was, you know, a quote unquote reasonable risk. We had one person over who was young enough that they honestly probably hadn't gotten their vax yet because they were only within a few weeks of becoming eligible. Um, And yeah, we took that risk. Uh, But I think I'm actively thinking about whether we do that again um, if, if Omicron continues to spike over the next few weeks. You know, like I was really hoping we'd be back on, uh, you know, a, a cadence where my son's friend would visit once a month or so. Um, but I don't know what January is going to look like. And if things are going crazy, probably not. We're probably not going to have that visit in January if things are going crazy. Um, if things are looking kind of calm, maybe. Um, the the other thing I want to mention is, again, the long COVID thing. I've seen so many people on Twitter who have long COVID posting about how every time they see metrics that are only talking about hospitalizations or deaths, they believe that a big part of the picture is being missed because of long COVID. And not everybody who gets COVID and recovers ends up with long COVID. Uh, I've seen different people estimate different percentages. Uh, The one I've seen thrown around most often is around 10%. But I don't think that's been really measured all that well. So I would expect a big freaking error bar on that. I think we really don't know because most of the investigation and most of the research has been on hospitalizations and deaths for understandable reasons, but there are a significant number of people who are seeing long-term effects. And so these people point out, even if like Omicron was resulting in no hospitalizations or deaths, there may still be a significant long-term impact on Lots of people essentially becoming long term disabled, maybe permanently disabled, due to these long running effects. Uh, you know, because many of these people who talk about this are like, look, I was never hospitalized, but I've got these effects that have lasted a year now you know, and has significantly detracted from my quality of life because there are things I used to be able to do that I cannot do anymore. And so it is important to think about that too. It's not just hospitalizations and deaths. However, I think we still do need to look at hospitalizations and deaths until we have good measures of sort of those long COVID effects. Uh, Hospitalizations and deaths are the most obvious, clearest things to look at. Uh, to try to understand what's going on there. Um, And, yeah. So I'm going to end talking about COVID by once again saying what we've had to say over and over and over again for two years now, is we're going to have to wait and see, because there's so many unknowns here. But, you know and and especially with with omicron there is a wide range of potential outcomes here from oh my god in a, in like 3 or 4 weeks sometime in january the us healthcare system is going to be completely overwhelmed we're going to be back to th- things that we haven't seen since the very early part of the pandemic with you know people having to bring extra trucks because the morgues are full uh, and all of this kind of stuff and people missing uh, surgeries that they really, really need because the hospitals are full. On the worst case of the scenario to on the best case of the scenario, cases go through the roof, deaths stay flat the whole time. And, you know, we're not in a awesome place yet, That I mean... W- no, we're we're not in a good place at all. Like there's still too many people dying every week. Like the fact that some people are really will- willing to say, Okay this is the new normal for the number of people dying per week of COVID and it's okay, we can live with this level. No, the current level is still way too high. The current level is still significantly higher than the number of people dying from flu uh, traditionally. Obviously, flu has also been lower because of COVID deaths. Uh, But we're still at a really high level, what should be an unacceptable level. But if our if the best case scenario on Omicron is that we have a big spike in cases, but hospitalizations and deaths stays sort of level, that's not too horrible. Well, I hate even saying that. It's not too horrible in comparison. It's still horrible. It's still too high, uh, but it's a lot better than the worst case scenarios. Um, and but you know you see uh, the 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 talk of additional lockdowns and, and this and that and blah, blah, blah. Um, but you also hear in every conversation of those, how so many people are sick and tired of it and aren't paying attention anymore. And, you know, are not willing to do the same kinds of things they did in 2000, um, and are sick of the mask and are sick of staying home and are, You know, whatever. So I think the reality is that whatever governmental mandates get put in place, um, there is going to be an incredibly high non-compliance rate, you know, which will make it hard for those initiatives to be effective. Yeah, because maybe you can... you know, you can close certain public activities with lots of people, et cetera. But if people just visit each other at their homes all the time and have, you know, I guess you're not going to have backyard parties in the winter, but have parties in their homes, have the Christmas party, visit all your relatives, just like the way you usually would have the big Christmas dinner where you invite over all the cousins and stuff. If you do all that kind of stuff, then all of these mitigations like, you know, of, of, Sort of requiring masks in public places and closing down, you know, large events and stuff like that wouldn't help that much anyway because the contacts were still happening. Um, But even those larger things, I mean, no government is wanting to take those moves. Uh, There are a couple places in Europe who have started to crack down again. Uh, and say, you know, basically say nobody wants to do this, but we're going to take harsh action again for the next month or so, because we feel we have to, because of, you know, the, how fast this is growing. I think in many cases, you know, it's once again, they probably should have done it a week ago. They're doing it a little bit late. Um, but nobody, you know, even your big blue states aren't wanting to go there. They're so resistant and so done with it that I worry that if Omicron does actually result in a large percentage of hospitalizations and deaths, and it's just hidden so far by the types of populations that it's hit first, then the fact that we're not willing to take dramatic action is going to make it really, really bad. So I am crossing my fingers. That, in fact, we're at the best end of that scenario and and Omicron results in lots of infections, but you know relatively fewer hospitalizations and deaths, and we're able to get through this okay and to be clear, it's still very that both ends of that spectrum are still within the range of possibility, given the incomplete data we have so far so again. We'll see what happens. We'll keep watching. I'm I'm still watching the numbers regularly. I I I I've I gotta admit I'm not watching it every day like I used to. I'm making sure to check all the numbers and do my little post on Twitter at least once a week before I do the podcast. At least that's my target. Um but maybe I'll start looking more often again over the next month or so because it's it's an iffy time, depending on what comes out of this. And I wish we knew more, but we don't. So, <sighs> that's where we are. And, and, you know, and, and as usual, though, like I say, there's this wide range of possibilities, and we sort of have to act as if the worst case was the one that was happening. The problem, of course, of all of that is always if you act as if the worst case was happening, and then... The best case happens, everybody will be talking about how you took all kinds of unnecessary actions and you were fear-mongering and all that kind of stuff. Um, Sorry, but, like, if you've got, you know, one end of the scale is, you know, I, I, I go back to hurricane warnings and those kinds of things. You know, you all, even if you're right in the center of the cone, it could miss you. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have taken precautions. Take the precautions anyway, based on planning for the worst case. yeah, and and I know this relates to how risk averse people are too, and there are people out there who like, "Ooh, there's a hurricane coming. Let's go surfing." no, please. i I, I am clearly much more risk averse than that, and you know if 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 something's coming at me, uh, and it could be relatively okay or it could be really bad. Plan for the bad. And also, just to be clear on this, it's not it's it's not all about you as an individual. I mean, one approach to this could be I am fully vaxxed. I am boosted. The numbers so far seem to say that if you are fully vaxxed and you are boosted, then your chances of getting severely sick from well from any covid but also specifically from omicron are very very low so i'm safe so who gives a fuck i'm going to go back to doing everything the way i always did i'm not going to wear a mask i'm going to go out in public i'm going to go to restaurants i'm going to go to whatever um that is so incredibly selfish because you still in that situation can potentially have negative uh, negative effect on others so so be responsible to the community, not just to yourself. Do the right thing, etc. Okay. I think I'm done here. Um, thanks, everybody, for tuning into this Curmudgeon's Corner. Uh, I believe Yvonne and I have scheduled the next two weeks out already, so we should be good. Yvonne should be with us next week. We're going to do the show normally uh, for one more week this year. And then, I, I haven't mentioned it yet this year, but you, you guys who've been around a while on know this um, the last week of the year we do a prediction show for the next year so next week's show is going to be a normal show but the week after that is our 2022 prediction show and then the first week of January assuming it doesn't get like blown out like last year we didn't do our first week of January predictions retrospective show because we had the january 6th thing at the capitol uh that occupied the news fully for several weeks so like we never had a full show on it we we recapped some stats a few weeks into the year just to get it done but uh if unless something extraordinary blows up like that the first week of January the first show of 2022 we will recap how we did on our predictions for 2021 uh so that's the schedule for the next couple of weeks uh you know and uh, I'll, I'll, I always look forward to those end of year shows they're they're a little bit different but you know they're fun we like making the predictions we like holding ourselves accountable f- ourselves selves we like holding ourselves accountable uh for the predictions we made and uh, We'll see how we did. Uh, anyway, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, go to curmudgeons-corner.com. You'll see an archive of the show there, but also all of the ways to contact us, email, Twitter, or email, Twitter? Yes, Twitter—that's what it's called. Email, Twitter, Facebook, all of that kind of stuff. You will also find a link to our Patreon, which is where you can give us a little, little cash money to help out with the show. Uh, if you do like the show and you enjoy it, uh, we would love—you know—if you, know, you could—if you, know, you could throw a little bit into the pot, uh, that would be awesome. Uh, at various levels, we will mention you on the show. We will send you a postcard. You can even get a mug. All of this kind of stuff. But at two dollars a month or more. Or if you contact, or if you con or if you contact us and chat with us and ask nicely, we will um, invite you to our Commudgeons Corner Slack, which is uh, just a place where Yvonne and I and a number of our listeners uh, share links and compare notes and talk about the news of the day and talk about random other stuff uh, throughout the week. I won't give you highlights of what was on the, the Slack over the last week you know, that Yvonne can do that some other time. Um, but you know, it's lots of fun stuff. We, we, we share all kinds of interesting stuff and, uh, uh, it's fun. So you should join us. You know, you don't have to give us money. Just, you know, ask nicely and we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll invite you in. Uh, we would love to have more of you there. Um, and that's it. Hey, everybody, um, Oh, and one last thing. You know, I talked about my wife in the beginning uh, and uh, all kinds of stuff about how that happened and how she ended up in the state legislature and all that. I realized after the fact, I forgot one really important thing, which I have, you know, obviously told her in person. But I just want to say publicly here just how proud I am of her of her getting there and making that accomplishment. Uh, you know, over the last few years, she's been— Increasingly involved uh, in the community, doing all kinds of different volunteer work, all kinds of different areas, uh, both both in nonpartisan institutions of various sorts and with Democratic Party stuff. Uh, and it's been amazing to see her her growth in terms of her comfort with things like public speaking and in saying her mind and recognizing that you know. Uh, her opinions and her in, her knowledge of things is actually pretty good and and better than a lot of other people uh yeah i'm not i'm not saying like everybody but you know she she does pretty good um and uh she is so much more confident than she was you know years and years ago and has really developed her skills and really does know what the fuck she's talking about uh and so I'm just incredibly proud of her, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that journey develops. And uh, but so far, just after a few days, uh, you know, I can just say, you know, just listening to her, she is excited and enthusiastic and jumping in with both feet, uh, and it's wonderful to see. So I'm so proud of her. Anyway. With that, we're done. Hey, everybody, have a great week, uh, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye.